Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. Very good to be back behind the microphone again. I'm very excited for this episode because this is episode 20. Yeah! Woo! I am pumped up about that. 20 episodes. I didn't even think I'd I'd make it to episode 2 when I first started this thing, and and this has just been, again, I said it so many times, and I'll just say it again. This has been a tremendous, a tremendous experience for me. The podcast has grown in a way that I would have never, ever believed in a million years that I could have, I, I, I would have gotten this far. And I got to tell you the truth. You know, normally I, I'm pretty hard on myself. I'm a guy that that is very critical of myself. I push myself to, to. Uh, higher standards. So I'm always down on myself, not always down, like I'm, I'm upset with myself, but, but I, I, I just want to say that I'm, I'm very proud of myself and this particular podcast and in, in just being able to talk to so many listeners and uh, via email and, and the interviews. And speaking of interviews later on in this podcast, I'm going to be interviewing the founder of Freestyle Judo Sensei Steve Scott. I'm very excited for that interview. I can't wait to get that started. But, you know, as always, I get a few housekeeping chores to get out of the way. But I want to express my appreciation for all of you that have been listening since the beginning. I want to express my appreciation for those of you who are listening for the first time. And if you are listening for the first time, I just want to let you know that this is a judo-specific podcast it doesn't mean that I won't cover other grappling topics, uh, for example, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. By the way, special shout out to Os Nation out there. That's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys, for, uh, if you don't know. So I just want to let you guys know that the focus of this podcast will be on Judo. And that's that's my thing because I'm a Judo black belt. I'm an assistant instructor. And I've been doing judo for a number of years now. But now this is my 11th year in judo. So I'm very excited about that. And speaking of which, in terms of judo, this weekend is the European Championships in judo. Now, I have not had an opportunity to watch any of these matches. I do know of one result in the under 52 kilo. It should come as no surprise as that Majlinda Kalmendi won that division. She took gold. And she's just, I mean, I, I've not watched her matches, but I'm sure she dominated that division like she's been dominating the judo scene for for a number of years now. And I, I happen to believe that the best judo in terms of international competition, I believe the best judo is happening in the women's division. And I believe Kelmendi is the absolute best judoka in the world today. Uh, we, and that's including men, that's including... Uh, even the great Japanese fighters like uh, Hifumi Abe, I think in terms of the total package, the the domination, the sheer will, the fighting ability, and dominating her division, I think Kelmendi is tops, even even higher than Teddy Renner out of France. I I know Renner has has just had an incredible run over the past eight years, but in terms of the face of International competitive judo. It, it, in my opinion, it's Kalmendi, and you guys may uh, you may disagree with that. You, you're welcome to disagree with that. You're welcome to shoot me a tweet 
at La Vida Judoka. You're welcome to follow me on Facebook. Just do a search on Judo Chop Suey Podcast. And you're welcome to follow me on Instagram, which is also La Vida Judoka. And if you're not following me on Instagram, what's the matter with you? I just got a follow from Nick Del Popolo. So, Nick, I don't know if you're a listener of the program. I'd love to have you on as an interview at some point in the future. But look, guys, if Nick is following me, why aren't you following me? I mean, honestly, you, you my Instagram is awesome. I put videos of myself doing Rondori. I put videos of myself recording this hideous podcast. I put videos of myself spending time with family, my wife, my children. My Instagram's awesome. And if you don't think it's awesome, well then f*** you. I'm kidding. I, I don't really mean that. But you know what I mean. I, hey, follow me on Instagram, Twitter. Harass me on Facebook. I love all of that. No, excuse me a second. Ah. That wonderful water from my official judoinside.com water bottle. Tell you what, Florida is getting nice and toasty around this time of year, heading into May. That the humidity is kicking up a notch, and I come home from work, and you know I'm all sweaty. I, I I can sweat in my car with the AC on when you're in Florida. That that's how it can get down here. But I wouldn't have it any other way. So I needed to take a moment for myself to take a drink from the official JudoInside.com water bottle. Now, if you are interested in getting some information regarding on what's going on in the European Championships, if you don't want to wait for my podcast where I break it all down next weekend, feel free to go to judoinside.com and take a look at all the updates there. Uh, Hans Van Essen is is doing a great job following that particular tournament, and and his he's got his ear to the ground, just making sure uh, anything that breaks in regards to that tournament, if you want to know who's won and who's lost, Hans got all of that in judoinside.com. So I highly suggest you keep going to visit Hans at judoinside.com. He's doing a great job there. Now, I was just talking about the heat in Florida and stuff. I want to give you guys an update on my judo club. We're still in the process of finding another space. It's very... it. It's tough. It's really tough. So, I don't know if any of you guys have experienced the... Gosh, how am I going to put this? This almost feels like the death of a club because over the past week, the numbers have been dwindling down in terms of students showing up for class. I think last night I had really three students and that's it. And and I, I'm not the head instructor. Uh, the head instructor could not make it last night for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure why. That's that's really none of my business. But I'm there in a at a assistant capacity, and and it was just three kids, three kids and myself, and and the other assistant instructor. And got to tell you, it was tough. And I don't, I'm not blaming the kids that, that that didn't show. I'm not blaming the kids that showed. It's, it's just tough when you see when you go from what's typically eight or 10 students in a class to, to like two or three. And, and really, really one of the students is injured and it's, it's a tough situation and it's tough for me because I've been through this before where, where the, the club is like in its death throes where, you, you know, you could practically hear the, you know, the classic death rattle before it just completely dies. I, it's, it's very discouraging and, and, um, 
you know, I don't know what's going to happen. There, and I've said it before. There, there's not really anything I can do on my end. I'm not an official coach. I, I'm just a, I'm just a club showdown. I can't, I, I cannot commit to being a full-time judo instructor. There's just no way. I, I have other life commitments, and, and the best that I can do is, is, is offer two or three times a week. Uh, in volunteering, but any of the club uh, administration, things like that, I don't have the experience. I don't have the, the know-how. And quite frankly, if I had to run a club on my own, I, I don't have the money to support that in the event that I couldn't get the club to grow. So this is kind of where we're at. I mean, you know, maybe some of you feel like I'm being a quitter here. That's not the case. At least I don't think it's the case. There's only so much that I can do. And I'm going to be available. My, this club is important to me. And, and you know, there's only so much I can do. And it's an unfortunate situation because this it's not like we were given three to five months of notice ahead of time in regards to the jiu-jitsu club space that's closing. We, we were told just a couple of weeks ago. And, and it puts, you know... Whenever you get such last minute notice, relatively last minute notice, it's not like you can drum up more students in a month. I mean, if if we only had ten students and the club has been going, you know, the club has been in existence for years and years and years, it's not like we're going to get an influx of students through some kind of mass multimedia or or mass social media blitz or anything like that. So that's that's where we're at, at the at the club and. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. Quite frankly, I, I I tend to be optimistic in a lot of things, but I I'm not optimistic about this. It looks like the club may eventually close. Maybe, maybe the sensei will will be able to pull a rabbit out of his hat and and find the place that we can train at. But uh, again, it's it's not my club. I can't speak for the club. I can't go there in an official uh, capacity as a you know, I, I can't go there and, and start looking for places to rent for him either because I, I can't speak to some of the administration stuff that he may have to do with the national governing body. So it's an unfortunate situation. It's it's very discouraging, but, uh, you know, hopefully it'll turn out for the best. Um, I am committed to these kids. I'm committed to the club, but uh, outside of being there in an assistant capacity, I just simply can't do more. Um, you know, I, I mean, if somebody else... Somebody out there feels that I can do more, and, and I'm not really considering all options. You know, feel free to let me know if, if there's an if there's an idea or a solution that I'm overlooking. All right, I'd like to move on. So let's let's get to the next part of the show that I I really really like. Listener reaction, my favorite part of the podcast. This is the part of the podcast for those who may be new, where I. Read your emails or your tweets or your responses to anything that I've done on previous episodes. I got a nice email from Jonah UL out in Oakland Judo. If you're out in Oakland, go ahead and give him a visit. He's got a very nice club out there. He's responding to the bit of sad news that that um, my club may be at large in, in a couple of weeks if we don't find another place to train. Uh, and I, I went over that in uh, on the last episode of this wonderful podcast but he writes me an email uh states hey i'm listening to your podcast that sucks about your judo club don't worry too much i'm sure you'll find another place one thing i've learned 
when your dojo is rebuilding or regular building mode, do you have to keep your costs low? It's better to cut down on one or two days a week at odd times than to take out a lease on a place you really can't afford yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely agreed with you, Jonah. Uh, and that, and that's kind of the situation where we're at. We're, we're having to find that uh, we can't really get more than two days a week. But continuing on. The people that are really committed will find a way to come at those odd times and days. And if you make sure that those classes are really super badass, the word will spread. You can build from there. One of the most successful and oldest judo clubs around here, San Jose Buddhist, only practices Monday and Thursday. And I'm pretty sure the Buddhist church doesn't have a dedicated mat room, so they lay out the mats for each practice. Keep your head up, Tiger. Jonah. Jonah, I really appreciate the email and encouragement. It comes at a time where, you know, I was been feeling, like I said just, just a few minutes ago, just feeling a little bit down about the club and... At the bottom of this email was a link to a a YouTube video to Kickboxer. Now, he must remember, and I'm sure some of you remember, probably most of you don't realize it. I'm a huge JCVD fan, Jean-Claude Van Damme. And this video, I you know, I was feeling down when I read the email. I was like, shucks, man, what am I going to do about the club? Or what's going to happen here? And then, then all of a sudden... I click the video, the music kicks in, and I, hey, this is, hey, it's Jean-Claude and Kickboxer. So I'm, I'm like, ah, cracking a little smile, this is kind of cool, and then, then I see, uh, you know, this is Jean-Claude Van Damme, it's Kurt Sloan in this movie, and he, he's training with his brother, and then his brother's fighting Tong Po, and then, and then you see his, his brother get, his back gets broken by Tong Po because he's a cheater, and Van Damme's like, no! his back cracks and then and then he goes to this sensei out in the middle of Thailand and he starts to learn the old traditional ways of kickboxer there's Tong Po ripping the belt Jean-Claude punches the wall there's a sensei playing the pan flute and Jean-Claude training underwater he's doing the split kicks and the flying kicks and he's he's just he beat up a couple of guys in the bar and and like yeah, I'm going, yeah yeah this is awesome man and then he kicks down a tree and he's punching this this thing that that's like a punching bag except it doesn't move oh and there's a sensei he drops the big the, the big fruit thing onto his stomach from about a hundred feet up and he's like give me more give me more and then he and then he finally fights Tong Po and he, he's fighting with the glass on the fists and and then, and then this is the part where Tong Po says, like, the most offensive thing I have ever heard in a movie, and I've never heard anything worse than in my life. You bleed like my knee. My knee. Then you got people saying, Natsukao, Natsukao, Natsukao. And as if he didn't have anything left to fight for, fighting for his pride, fighting for his brother. Now he finds out about his girlfriend, Mai Li, and Tong Po, and he gets really mad. And he starts fighting and, and, and just really beats up Tong Po, and then he gets to Freddie Lee and kicks him in the face. And it just, this, this movie is just awesome if you haven't watched it. It is, it, it is, if, if, Iron Fist was half as cool as this movie. I, I would have put it over to the moon. But this this movie, oh, there's Jean-Claude again punching Tong Po in the face. It's just just a sequence and, and just... This is an awesome sh- movie. you got to watch this if you've never watched Kickboxer before. A Jean-Claude Van Damme classic. Jonah, thank you so much. This really uplifted my spirits because I tell you, I was a little bit down. And then at the end of this video, I felt like I wanted to go out to the European Open and, and just win gold. I, I was just so pumped up and I was like... 
man, I gotta get to a judo club and like choke somebody out because this guy, this video made me pumped up. So anyway, anyway, I know I'm going a little crazy here, but man, this this video just just like totally just gave me a testosterone boost, all natural and everything. So and I'm I don't even have a testosterone problem, but right now I'm just like totally raging. It's incredible stuff. So anyway, Jonah, thank you very much for the video. Continuing on with my next email. Whew, that's a oh my goodness. All right. The next email I want to read truly fascinated me. Now, this is a longer email, but this is very important for me to read from start to finish. So, here it goes. Dave, this is Kiyoshi, blogger over at judofan.com. Thanks for your podcast. I enjoy listening. Now, this is me here. I, I checked out this blog. It's it's really worthwhile checking out. This is a very interesting blog from a fellow who is over in Japan. So, this is... As far as I know, my first my first confirmed uh, Judo Chopsui podcast listener from Japan. So, continuing on. I just wanted to comment on your number 16 podcast where you talk about Judo losing popularity in Japan. Over the last few years, Japanese Judo has been rocked by a number of scandals, including athlete abuse, mismanagement of funds, and accidental deaths in the dojo. They have been so serious that there was a change of members on the executive board at the AJJF. The creation of a new committee aimed at supporting female athletes. And just yesterday, the AJJF released a three-part series on their YouTube channel addressing judo-related head trauma. I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but the judo population is declining fairly quickly. It is hard to say why, though. One theory I have is that compared to a few decades ago, Japan has introduced a lot more sports into its school system. The economic prosperity of the 70s and 80s made it possible for Japanese people to participate in all kinds of sports that weren't previously possible. Based on my own observations, I would also theorize that the physical and mental abuse that is very common in Japan has a lot to do with the decline. Uh, has a lot to do with the decline. Corporal punishment and verbal abuse are pretty guaranteed at high-level programs. This topic is fairly important to me as a coach experiencing a dangerous decline in athletes I can recruit onto my team. Even some of the really major programs have really suffered with a lack of recruits in recent years. Anyway, that's just my two cents. Sorry, I don't have time to research the subject a little bit more and give you some statistics. Thanks for your podcast. I enjoy listening in. Regards, Kiyoshi. Kiyoshi, thank you very much for this email. This is really fascinating stuff. Now, for those of you who have a short-term maybe or um, short-term memory or maybe bonked on the head, uh, a couple of episodes ago, I, I commented on Marius Visor's Twitter Q&A where somebody had posed a question to Mr. Visor about why Japan's... Um, is why judo in Japan is declining in popularity. Now, Kiyoshi really gave some insights here that I just was not privy to. And and this is this is all very interesting to me and I and I really think it's a sad commentary on what judo has become in Japan if Kiyoshi's uh point of view is accurate, which I don't have any reason to believe that it's not accurate. It almost sounds like it's not much different than how, say, football programs in Florida used to be ran 20, 30 years ago. Not not so much the, the verbal abuse, but but they were really, really hardcore programs at, at the peewee level. I mean, when I say peewee level, we're talking about, 
you know, nine and 10 year olds doing these severe conditioning drills with lack of water and, and you just a bunch of bad coaches out there, you know, really pushing their kids. Now, granted, this kind of approach to training has produced a lot of high level athletes in football out of Florida. And clearly over the past, really the history of competitive judo, Japan has been a dominant force on the competitive scene. Now, that is not me condoning any sort of abuse or or negative practices done by uh, Japanese judo officials, but I am saying that there's tens... You know, what's interesting to me is that I always believe there is a better way to get the most out of your athletes than yelling at them and saying demeaning things and abusing them. I believe that a good coach can get the best out of their athletes through positive reinforcement and being positive and being a good teacher. It's just history tends to show that the programs that are super tough tend to be very successful. But again, I can't imagine these days somebody like Kosei Inui being verbally abusive to the athletes that he's coaching currently. I I can't imagine him being that way, but maybe you have an old guard within Japan that that sticks to the the good old boy traditional sort of way, as I would put it, and they don't want to let go of old practices in favor of better coaching techniques and and better coaching uh, approaches and such. So this is very all all very interesting. If anybody else out there has firsthand experience with this. Uh, shoot me an email and let me know what your experiences are. Now, I have seen videos posted online of certain coaches in in the U.S. community that are very uh, tough on their students. And again, it's not about being soft with your students. I believe that you can get the most out of your students as a coach without being demeaning, without resorting to corporal punishment, without resorting to embarrassing students or or doing things like hazing or, or things like that. I believe there's a better way to get the most out of your athletes. And now you know, those people that I'm criticizing or, or or shedding light on this subject, they would say they would probably say to me, Well, you know, who have you coached at a high level? And you know what? You would have a point. I have not coached anybody at a high level, but I still believe when you look at the best coaches out there that they're not sitting there you know, inflicting corporal punishment on their players. I mean, look at look at the greatest coach in NBA history, Phil Jackson. And I know you Celtics fans will cringe at that. But look, Phil Jackson is one of the most successful coaches in NBA history. I can't imagine the Zen master being verbally abusive to to his his uh, athletes. Now, it's been well known that he's known how to get the best out of his athletes by pushing so many buttons. For example, I know that. A lot of people felt that Horace Grant back in the 90s with Phil Jackson's whipping boy. But Phil Jackson knew how to do and say the right things to get his players to perform at the highest level. And I think a coach can do that without being verbally abusive, without being a a bully, and without being uh, physically abusive either. You know, you have the... You know, going back to basketball again, you have the Bob Knight way of doing things and you have the Phil Jackson way of doing things. And with more modern NBA coaches, you've got the the Steve Kerr way of doing things. 
and and they're producing uh there's these coaches are experiencing a lot of success or have experienced a lot of success so again i think there's a better way to go about it so going back to what i was saying before kiyoshi thank you very much for your email very interesting observations and if you have feel free to contribute anytime to this podcast and i would greatly appreciate that all right we're 24 minutes or so into this podcast, and I'm sure some of you are like, get on with it already, you mother, stop talking. All right, yeah, I get you. I promise, Sensei Steve Scott, and there's the music. Here's his intro. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, from Kansas City, Missouri, Mr. Steve Scott. Steve, can you hear me? How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks for uh, thanks for talking with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the Judo Chop Suey podcast. This is this is a unique opportunity for me because I um I've been wanting to interview you for quite some time, and I know a lot of the listeners have brought up questions to me about freestyle judo and and yeah. the scoring system, especially in light of the changes with the International Judo Federation's rule set starting in 2010 and then right. the new rule set starting in, in 2017. So, mm-hmm. but, but before we get into all of that, tell the listeners about yourself, how, how you started judo, who your sensei was, how long you've been doing judo, and, and then from there, talk a little bit about your Welcome Mat Judo Club. Well, I appreciate you asking me. Well, I guess I'm a bit of an old guy now. I'm uh, approaching 65 real quickly here. I've been in judo since 1965. Uh, my first sensei was a uh, a man named Jerry Sweat here in Kansas City, Missouri. I still live in Kansas City, Missouri. Gotcha. Uh, like like my wife and I like to say, uh, we travel the world. We always come back to Kansas City. I don't know why, but we seem to like it here. <laughs> but but um um, Jerry Sweat was my first sensei. He was trained at the Kodokan. He was a Nidan from the Kodokan. He was also a, a Sandan in Aikido. And um, he was he spoke Japanese fluently. And I learned good, solid Kodokan Judo under Jerry. Wow. Uh, unfortunately, after about three, three and a half years, he quit teaching. Uh, a lot of things were going on in his life, and he moved on. And I, I then trained under a very good man in Ken Reganiter, who was really involved in jujitsu, the old... Um, Danzanru or Kodenkan Jiu-Jitsu, as well as Judo. He, he was much better. He, well, I wouldn't say much better. He enjoyed more Jiu-Jitsu than did Judo. He was a Sandan in Judo. But he was the guy that really got me going in good Katamiwaza, good ground fighting. He, he emphasized that in his club. And it was Ken that suggested to me one day on the mat, he said, have you ever heard of Sambo? I said, no. He said, well, it's that Russian kind of Judo or Jiu-Jitsu or something. He said, You'd like that because, you know, it's just your, kind of your style is kind of a, a more of a ground fighting style. I, I evolved under him that way. So I, I tried this Sambo a few years later back in this course. This is back in the days before there was an Internet. Right. And I, I sought out uh, I, I contact the AAU wrestling committee, which was in charge of Sambo at that time. And that was about 1974, 75. And I finally ended up uh, hooking up with uh, a wonderful man named Ivan Olson, God rest his soul, out of uh, San Diego, California. He was an old wrestler who had been the AAU uh, wrestling uh, coordinator for Sambo because Sambo had become one of the three international styles of grappling or wrestling 
uh, under FILA, you know, the International Governing Body for Wrestling, with Freestyle Greco and then uh, Sambo. So anyway, he directed me to, of all places, a Scotsman who was living in, in uh, Rogers, Arkansas at the time. Rogers, Arkansas was about a six or seven hour drive south of me. And the fellow's name was Morris Allen, who had won the World Sambo Championship in 1975, I think in Minsk. And he was a Scotsman and uh, an old millionaire uh, had opened a big sports center called Ichiban Training Center in, of all places, northwest Arkansas. And um, he hired top quality coaches to come in, you know, like rotate them in every year or two. And while I think Morris was there maybe about a, two years or so, I can't remember. But starting in, in 70, early 76 or so, I started training with Morris Allen in Sambo which he opened my eyes to a, a larger world. It was just, he was, it was also, by the way, Morris is also a high ranking man in judo. Mm-hmm. And he, he wrestled in, uh, I think, freestyle wrestling for Great Britain uh, in the Olympics. So he was a well-rounded grappler. And I, I just gained a ton of knowledge from, from Morris, just a brief time I had to train with him. About that time, a period of time, I was learning and growing. I was a young man. I had started my judo club, the Welcome Mat Judo Club, in 1969 as a senior in high school. And, wow. And, and so and how, it's, how it came about is, is rather interesting, I believe. I would hope others find it interesting. But um, when I was training with Ken Reganetter at his dojo, four or five of us lived in the same area in Kansas City, South Kansas City. And we would drive over. It was about a 30-minute drive over to train at Ken's dojo every every evening. And, he only had he only had judo three times a week, so um, we wanted to, you know, you know, have some more time on the mat. So Ken actually loaned us an old roll up ten by ten horsehair canvas covered mat that we lugged around, and we were high school seniors, and you know, we it was in one kid's garage for a while, it was in you know my backyard for a while, wherever, and we I, I finally found a community center near my house. And I, I asked the lady, I said, who ran the community center, I said, would you mind if we keep our mat here? Could we come here and practice our judo? And she said, I'll let you boys do that if you promise to teach a judo class for me one night a week. And I said, well, we can do that. Sure. I mean, we, but here we are, 18-year-old kids. Yeah. You know, hardly know any judo, really, you know. But we said, well, yeah. So we got a free place to train. And that was actually the start of the, the Marlboro Community Center is the name of the place. And we started it there, uh, the Welcome Mat Club, in, in 1969. It kind of developed almost by accident, but it, it developed. And, and some way or the other, I've been teaching judo and sambo and, and of course, jujitsu ever since. Uh, and because I, I ended up getting a job with the Kansas City, Missouri Parks and Recreation, making that my career, I stayed oh, with them okay. almost 37 years. So wherever I went, I wherever community center I worked at, I, I became a director, kind of like a, a principal of a high school, you know, and whatever community center I worked at, I did three things. I started a judo club. I started, uh, I opened up a library for the kids to use. And I also opened up a, a weight room because back then in the seventies and eighties, you didn't see a lot of weight rooms in a lot of facilities, but we, we did that too. So uh, those were three things I always wanted to do for the kids and in, in, in whatever neighborhood I was working. So, from that basis, from that genesis, through the parks and recreation system, uh, I, I ended up developing a very good club, and I was fortunate to travel in many places. And uh, you know, I met my—I actually met my wife Becky, who went on to be a Pan American World Sambo champion, by the way. 
I met her at a judo tournament in 1973. And um, so we kind of, we both liked judo and we, we kind of struck up a friendship and we started dating. And a couple of years later, we ended up getting married. So, and we've been married almost 42 years now. So, um, well, that judo has been a, a major part of my life. It, it, I often say judo was my ticket out. It was my ticket out of just being an everyday guy. Uh, sure. because of judo, I developed discipline to go to college and, and, you know, be somebody better. And I was able to see the world through, um, you know, mainly as a coach, as a, as a judo coach and sambo coach. So I, it, it really gave me a wonderful edge on, I think, a lot of other people. And I've tried to use that judo as a ticket out for every kid I've tried to coach ever since, an adult. So that's kind of been the basis for my reason for doing judo and being in judo. And I, I imagine there are a lot of people who have the same story as me, but this is my particular story. So uh, that's kind of a background of where I am. That's 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 fascinating stuff. I I did not know that you also had an extensive uh, background in sambo. That's that's very that's very interesting, and and I'm sure we'll get to that a little bit more. And 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 okay. because I I've done a little bit of reading. Um, well, I did go to your site uh, for mm -hmm. the Freestyle Judo Org site, and we'll and we will definitely get to all of that. But I I didn't really realize how how influential Sambo uh, was for you as well. Yeah, extremely, extremely influential. I'll tell you what, Morris Allen, uh, I believe is one of the best coaches I've certainly ever worked with. I think anybody else who knows Morris, he's living in Virginia now and he's still active. Uh, I, I just think the world of him. And he, he really taught, he told me something very, very important. that changed my life in terms of judo and also how I thought about a lot of things because up to the point I started training with Morris, you know, I tried to fit that cookie cutter approach. I'm a big guy. I'm six four, weigh about two forty, sure. and and he he, he's, he he watched me. He was training with me, and he used to give me plenty of thumpings. I'll tell you, the guy is super good. But but he would tell me, he said in a Scottish brogue of his, you know, I can't duplicate it. But <laughs> he said he said he said you've got to understand, you've got to make your technique work for you. You don't have to work for the technique. In other words, don't try to mold your body. It is some preconceived notion you think it should look like. He said, he said, learn the fundamentals, yes, and then take that move, take that technique, and mold it to fit like you, like you, you know, like, like you're buying. You don't just buy a suit off the rack. Have it tailor made for you. And that struck a chord in me, and it made a whole lot of sense. And I've been using that as one of the very cornerstones of my coaching ever since. Um, to, to, to make your judo, make your samba, whatever it is, make that technique work for you. And, and that was wonderful advice. And I, I try to give that to all my students. So, you know, now speaking so. of students, what is your current club makeup like? Because when I, when I see your YouTube videos, which by the way, I got to say, I, I think your YouTube channel is fantastic. I hope you keep up the oh, good thanks. work. I, I think it's fabulous. I'm a big fan of it. I know you've got a lot of subscribers, but so when I see, uh, your page, I see, happen to see a lot of adults at your club. So what is your current club makeup in terms of children versus adults? You have more adults than children or vice versa? Right. Well, right now we have two primary locations for Welcome Mat. Um, the one I'm at, where you see a lot of my videos done, is uh, Kansas City is a large metropolitan area like a lot of cities are, of course. Right. And and the, the location where I do most of my video work is in the south part of Kansas City at our club 
in uh, in metropolitan suburban Kansas City, South Kansas City. And then it's run by Derek Darrell, one of my really good black belts, who is very good at judo, but his specialties are really sambo and jujitsu and submission grappling, that type of thing. He also has a lot of Muay Thai. You'll see in a lot of backgrounds, there's a boxing ring back there. A lot of guys are doing Muay Thai in the background. But at gotcha. that location, um, we we do we have a lot of adults. We probably have about 20 to 30, you know, I mean, for, for the American Midwest, that's a fairly good-sized club. We have about 20 to 30 adults on a regular basis um, train with us. And uh, that's what you primarily see when you see my videos on YouTube. And now uh, Kenny Brink, who is, who is one of my outstanding students, he, I started him when he was eight. He's now in, well into his 40s. He's a superb, wow. great judo coach. He's we're really the main part of our judo club. And I would consider him our head judo coach now at Welcome Mat. And he, the, in fact, the community center where Kenny started his judo with me in, in the in the Northland area, the Kansas City area, north of the river in Kansas City, uh, at that community center, um, I was the I was the manager there for 13 years before I retired, and. Uh, Kenny, of course, was one of my standout athletes. And when I retired, I pretty much said, you know, I'm backing off. You know, I'm going into other things right now. And I really kind of let Kenny take over the program. And he's done a wonderful job. Uh, and he has about, on an average night, he, he practices four nights a week or four times a week. It's uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Um, he averages about 40 kids at a practice, which for the American Midwest is pretty darn good. Uh, I think he has about 50 or more actually enrolled, but he can count on just about 40 kids at every practice. So, uh, and, and he's got mostly kids, but he also has about 10 or 12 adults. And I mm -hmm. make sure I get up to Kenny's, Kenny's uh, practice, you know, once a week or so, maybe, maybe at least twice a month, at least uh, he does such a good job. I don't want to bother him really, but um, he, uh, so, so he has the main thrust of the kids program, which is our real, development program for those kids coming up so we, we actually have two primary locations for welcome at the one you see me at primarily is most, most adults and kenny works mostly kids i coached kids for, for about 30 years and honestly at my age i just don't have the patience for them anymore so. I, I can you know what I, <laughs> I, I i can understand that completely now now that i'm assisting with kids as well i i do enjoy it a lot but i, I think there's a big difference when you have uh Adults who really want to be there versus kids right. who may be made to be there. So I, I, I'm with yeah. you on that. Yeah. Now, so I, we're and we're going to get specifics to to freestyle judo rules and such like that. But before we go into that, I want to ask you one question. Since you have been involved in judo for over 50 years, what is your opinion on the state of judo? right now versus where it was when you started i know there is not nearly as many practicing adults worldwide compared to 50 years ago right what are your what are your thoughts on that well you know it's interesting because um culturally you know uh americans certainly the world has changed and when, when i again started judo in 1965 judo was pretty much the only game in town uh, karate was still a very new thing and I know I'm mispronouncing karate, so it's karate. I understand that. So please, Pierce, don't don't hammer me. But but I'll call it karate, being being the Midwesterner that I am. But um, it it was a new thing, and and 
when I started judo here in the Kansas City area, and this is, was not a heavy judo populated area, we could go to a local tournament, and I did with great regularity as a boy. I competed every chance I got. Um, we would probably have anywhere from about 200 or so people, maybe 250 in one of our regional championships, which was, you know, pretty good numbers. And and, uh, and those were just the competitors. And when, when at our training, we probably had about 100 members. It was fairly large, especially for Kansas City being in the American Midwest. So, um, but it was only the only game in town. Now, as as things have changed, and, and we've got Taekwondo, we've got Kung Fu, we've got Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, um, Muay Thai, all these other martial arts have come on the scene. Uh, it, the, the the water is, is I don't want to say muddied, but but it, there, there there's more opportunities for different things for people to do, and so so that's that's caused a drop in the numbers. But also, I think our culture is softening a bit. Uh, my friend mm-hmm. John Sala likes to call us. He said, remember back in the 60s when the hippies were the counterculture? Yeah, sure, John. Uh, he said, well, now we're the counterculture. We're the guys doing stuff that's really hard stuff, these throws and these arm locks and things like this. He said, this isn't, this isn't what a lot of people like to do. And so I think our culture has changed to some degree. I don't want to just entirely blame our culture because I think there's some other things um, endemic in, in, in the judo uh, community that we've done wrong. And mm-hmm. just, and I, I don't want to hammer anybody. I don't want to, you know, be, be too uh, hard on anyone. But I, I really think having seen how things have developed over the years or evolved, let's say the better word for it, um, we don't market judo like we should. We could learn a lot from our, our brothers and sisters in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Agreed. taekwondo. We really could. We could learn Agreed. a lot from them. And and how we market, how we how we promote, how we present what judo is to the public. You know, judo is really an exciting thing. It really is. It's it's a cool thing to see all those big body slam throws, and you know, and it really it's scientific, and it's it's the kind of stuff that really keeps me up. And I I know I'm an old geek about it, but but it really does keep me up at night thinking about how the body moves and how I can better manipulate for an arm lock or whatever it may be. And it, it is an exciting thing, and we just don't present that well to the public. We just we just don't do a very good job of it. And I also think another thing that's really hurt us in our America. We Americans here in the United States tend to give greater respect and legitimacy towards sports, which are an, a sport in, in a high school or college. If it's an NCAA sport, now, now judo being an Olympic sport has a, a great amount of um, dignity to it, a great amount of recognition, uh, uh, so on, which is a wonderful thing. But but beyond that, we Americans uh, will. We, we'll, you know, the fact is it's not an NCAA sport, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is sure. this has really hurt judo. You know, uh, look at look at high school wrestling, college wrestling. Um, you have millions, probably well over a million wrestlers in this country. Just uh, off the top of my head, that's probably a good guess. But, you know, it, it is a scholastic. It is a high school. It is a collegiate sport. And judo, unfortunately, never became a collegiate sport. Uh, there have been opportunities in the past Apparently, uh, the people in power of judo back in whenever it happened turned it down. Uh, it is a club sport. A lot of a lot of colleges have clubs, right. but it's not not as an official NCAA sport, Division one, two, or three. It's not an NAIA sport. It's not a, you know. So there's no organization that is giving judo the legitimacy like it does basketball, like like the NCAA gives wrestling or basketball or tennis. Name any sport. So if we could be in the colleges and high schools. If a kid could get a 
college scholarship to go play judo at Iowa State or wherever, uh, and not just like in wrestling, um, we would have a lot more people coming out for judo. So I, I think that's really been a hindrance to us um, because remember the founder of judo, Jigeru Kano, was an educator. He was he went on to become the minister of education for the for J- Japan, um, and it would just that's seem right. to be na- yeah a natural thing for us to be involved in the educational process of, of, you know, young men and women in the United States. So that's a shame. And I think that's been probably the primary reason judo hasn't caught on in this country where other sports have, you know. So that's just my take on it, though. Agreed. No, I, I think that's a, that's a very good point. So now let's get to the, the meat of this interview here. Um, sure. Tell me, give me a little bit about, tell me about freestyle judo. Now, I've done some reading on this, but a lot of re, uh, a lot of listeners out there are familiar with it. But so what I would like you to do is give the listeners a, a high level overview of what freestyle judo is. And what do you think freestyle judo adds to judo today that does not exist under, say, the current rule set? Sure. Well, first of all, I want everyone to know that freestyle judo is not a new style of judo. I'm, I'm not so arrogant that I would come and say I'm, I'm doing something better than Kano did because certainly that's not the case. It, it's not a uh, it's not a different martial art. It's it's judo. You know, there, there is only one judo, and that's the judo founded by Jigoro Kano, the Kodokan, in 1882. So I want I want everyone to put. If anyone thinks we're trying to start a new style of judo or do something, do we're not. Uh, you know, freestyle judo is simply judo uh, using logical and common sense set of contest rules. That's really what it is. Um, a good example: one of our uh, strong freestyle judo coaches, Vincente Dinjani, down in Dallas. Um, he, he he's one of our referees as well. He had his father, who was an old time judo guy from New Orleans, come up. When, when uh, James and Patty Wall put on the Sambo Nationals uh, a couple of years ago, last three years, actually, but, but uh, in, in the Baton Rouge area. So Vincente had his dad drive up and, and take a look at the tournament. And he said, Dad, I, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come up. I want you to watch the tournament and tell me what you think of it. And so his dad did. So afterwards, Vincente said, Dad, what did you think of the tournament? He said, what's the big deal? It's judo. And Vincente said, bingo, that's the point. It's just judo. And we're just using rules that allow wider and more fully developed uh, technical base of judo. There's so many things to it. Judo technically, technically rich and diverse ever invented in mankind. It really is. When you look at what we have in judo compared to, say, some of the other sports, there's so many different things you can do to the human body. It's just simply amazing. And if, if we have a set of rules that allow for the full and complete use of as many technical skills that are safe as possible, then that's a solid set of rules. And, and, and when I, when I wrote the contest rules and again, freestyle judo, again, is not a style of judo. It's just judo using a set of what I think are more logical contest rules. And, and when you look at, I'm an old phys ed guy, you know, I'm kind of going back to college days when I, when I started writing the rules of freestyle judo in, in 2007 and 2008, um, a set of rules for any sport, for any sport, not just judo, for any sport, should have five primary factors. And, and, and the first one is to promote and codify sportsmanship. Well, that's, that's obvious, but, but it, that's important. Number two, um, 
the, the rules of whatever sport it is should provide a fair, objective, and understandable means of scoring. So that this should be an objective point system, the objective value scoring system, and understandable to the public. Number three, um, provide for safe play. You know, make sure that, that, that there's safety involved. You know, we, we, there are t- techniques banned in judo for safety reasons. Um, you know, like Kani Basami is one of them, Kawazugaki, such things as that. Uh, number four, uh, a set of rules of any sport should encourage technical and tactical skill development. So the rules should be written in such a way to allow the athletes and the coaches who teach those athletes to, to do the fullest extent of judo or whatever sport it is possible safely. And, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the rules. And number five, and, and I think one of the most important things is any set of rules for any sport should encourage and promote a healthy lifestyle. You know, that's why, uh, you know, um, drugs are banned and, you know, various activities are, are not, you know, are frowned upon and not allowed. So, so th- those are the five things. That- why did you start these rules in 2007, what, 2007, 2008? I, see, it was my understanding. I could have understood maybe after the major rule change on the leg grabs that these that you decided to do something different uh, uh, or present a different <clears throat> style of competition. But I was actually surprised to hear that you started writing these rules back in 2007. What was it? What is it about that particular period of time in your judo career where you felt that you wanted to provide a different opportunity or, or different style of competition? Well, I, I, I kind of saw, uh, and I'm certainly, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but I, but I kind of saw where things were going in a way. Um, when, when the IJF uh, cut the time limit from Osaikome down from 30 to 25, I said, why is that? You know, why, why did that happen? Well, it was, maybe some people had good, adequate answers to that, but I never heard one really. Um, and, and then I saw, uh, you know, things were, you, you talk to referees, you, well, you know, they're going to they're stop doing this, stop doing that. And I saw also where judo was headed, and I knew it was going to have to come to a head. We saw probably about the eight or ten years prior to the, the actual big changes in 2010, um, where fundamentally judo was becoming wrestling in a judo gi. Absolutely. To, to, you know, that, I mean, I, I looked, it was, it was losing its, its actual nature or essence. Um, and I knew the IGF had to do something. Yes. And, and what they did, uh, you know, I, I applaud them for saying, well, you know, you, you can't just dive in and you know, jump at, you know, grab at legs and do all this other stuff. I applaud them for that. But I, I think they could have come out a little bit, differently like we did. I mean, again, I'm not saying we have better idea, but we tried something different. It seems to be working for us. Um, it, to, to, we, we stopped a lot of the leg effect. We stopped all the leg grabbing and diving for legs by simply making a rule saying that the contestants, the two athletes on the mat have to first have a grip of each other, have to have both, you know, both hands on the opponent before they actually hit the Morote Gari or hit the Katagaroma or hit the Ashidori, whatever it might be the leg grab type move, you have to actually have contact with your opponent. That, so that prevented a lot of that bending over and diving stuff, which we saw a lot. And then also, okay. I also saw where I thought the IGF was going a bit overboard uh, because we saw all the bent over negative passive judo action where it looked like two rams butting heads. Yeah. And I, I thought they didn't handle that as well as they could have. We handled it by 
allowing our referee, and this may sound odd to some people, but I, I, right from the start, having been influenced heavily by Sambo and, and, and wrestling, uh, we allow our referees, our, our mad officials, to talk to the athletes and tell them, posture up. We use the phrase, posture up, stand up. And when, when they know, when they hear the word posture up, they know their posture is too bent over. they got to stand up. We'll say, you're too bent over, red or white, whatever the color of the belt they're wearing, sure. and you've got to stand up. So, so that makes them have more upright, well-postured judo. And as a result, their, their hips are more in play from a technical aspect of it. You're seeing more skillful movements with, you know, more Uchimatas, more Sayanagis, that type of thing. And, and we've really done away with a lot of the leg grabbing and, you know, what looked to be like wrestling in a judo gi. So we did two primary things. We, we let the referees talk to the athletes and, and give them warnings for standing upright. And we were strict about, um, you, you know, penalizing athletes who were bending over excessively and, you know, too far jigo tie. How did you decide on this scoring system and what was it that influenced you on this scoring system? Yeah, well, in a nutshell, what, what we did in, in freestyle judo, I, I think a, a thing that makes judo judo is the epon, the, 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 the single one point, the big, the big score, whether it be from an arm lock or a throw or whatever technique. Epon is, is the ultimate of what we want to do in judo. And so I, I want to give every opportunity to every athlete a chance to get that epon in every match that he or she fights in. So, um, so that being said, epon is an epon. It's still, uh, a, a, let's take for throws, is to throw primarily, you know, on the back or side with control and force, just like the IJF. And then we, we have, and of course, the wazari, almost a technique, almost the epon, um, is uh, we, we, I, I thought a, a numerical scoring system would, would make for a more, um, I don't want to say aggressive match, but allow the athletes uh, more room to do a lot of different things. And, and it's, it's easy to understand. You know, if, if you're going to a judo tournament and, and you see the score is seven to six, you know, one guy's got seven, one guy's got six. And, and if, if you don't, and I know they have the different numbers now for 100 or 10 or whatever, but, you know, in the old scoring system, it was just a W or a U or, you know, for Yuko, people didn't know what that meant. So um, what we did was by having uh, introducing numerical scores to the, the points assessment, it, it made it easier for people to understand who was winning or losing. So that, that's that's why we went with the numerical scores. It's it's a matter of, I, I think I think um, again to make it understandable. One of the one of the rules I had about you know scoring a match objectively and understandably. There you go. But um, so so a wazari would be with four points. It'd be the same as a wazari. A yuko, like what we all know a yuko to be, and all those old timers remember what it was for for many years. It's still that's worth two points. A coca, and again, we're, we're showing our age by showing coca because yeah. a lot of young guys don't know what a coca is anymore. But a coca was the small minor score where you throw primarily on the buttocks or the side or whatever it may be, um, it, you know, with control. It, it is a, a throw with control, and that's worth one point. So our, our scoring for, for throwing techniques is is Ipon. Uh, Wazari is worth four. Yuko is worth two. A coca is worth one. Now, what we also introduced, which I thought made for a more interesting match and <laughs> made a more competitive match, was, uh, uh, you know, if you remember the rules, especially in the old days, I actually saw a match, an egregious example. I saw back in when the Cocas were first introduced back in the mid to late 70s, I saw a guy at the Nationals, at the Nationals, get 10 Cocas on his opponent. His opponent had one Yuko. Okay. This guy... In a five-minute contest, 
threw his other opponent nine more times than he was thrown. Okay. Right. He got the, and the guy who got the one Yuko early in the match kept his lead, ran like a rabbit. Still, there was not enough. He got thrown, and you know, there had to be more. Those those were terrible calls of Yuko but, or Coca. But the guy who got ten Cocas still lost. So the guy who actually threw the other guy, other guy around like a rag doll actually lost the match, and it stayed with me for a long time. I thought, well, if we could have a cumulative st- scoring, in other words. If, if I throw somebody for a Wazari and get four points and then I, I throw him for, you know, another Wazari and get four points, it's, it doesn't just end the match. I have eight points now. Now, I still have to fight because we have a 12-point spread because we've, we've tinkered with this quite a bit. And we came up uh, – and I got this originally from Sambo. But when there's a 12-point spread, there's a definite – difference there's a definite uh best word is difference between the two athletes level of of ability and eight points don't always do it eight points is a bit too close so so i tinkered with this a lot in a lot of our local and regional terms before we actually wrote it into the rules but let's say let's say i'm competing with a guy and i'm wearing red and he's white i'm red i'm red i throw him for a wazari i have four points he comes back and he starts annihilating me and he gets me for a one pointer, a two pointer, another two pointer, another two pointer. He's, he racks up six or seven, eight points of scores because, you know, I got that maybe a lucky shot or maybe, maybe I just didn't protect my lead. Well, whatever it may be, he's now able to catch up in the score. So I can't just sit on a big score and hope to win. So what we've done by doing that, by not, by not allowing an athlete to sit on a big score and, and wait, maybe get a few penalties and still win it. We've made him have to continue to hustle to protect that score. So it's made for a more aggressive, more interesting match. Technically, technically and tactically, it makes judo a lot more interesting when you have a cumulative scoring like that. The pawn still trumps everything, correct? Correct. Yes. What about Osai Komi? Is there, is there scoring for Osai Komi? If, if I read the rules correctly, I believe a 12, margin of 12 points wins it. Is, is that accurate? Yeah, a 12-point spread will win the match. You know, it could be, you know, 12 to nothing, 17-5, whatever the score may be. You know, the 12-point spread is the same as the old days of getting, you know, two Wazari's Epon. It's, 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 a, it's a superior win. Uh, you know, again, a good rule set that uses that is um, Sambo. They've gone to an out eight-point eight, eight point spread, but they used to be 12. You see that in, in wrestling when there's a um, – I think in college wrestling, if there's a 15-point – I might be wrong on this, but but if there's a 15-point spread, it, they stop the match and give one athlete a superior win or whatever. Same with international wrestling. So, so it, you know, there is precedent for that, and there's a good reason for that because if you're, you're not screwing a guy 12 points more, you're, you're just pounding him. You know, it's kind of a mercy rule. Uh, now, but in, can you, but, now – if I understand correctly, if you hold on a person for 20 seconds, that's four points. So, Correct. So could I hold a person down for a minute and get 12 points if I'm thoroughly dominating the person I'm competing against? Can I? Can a person win in that way? No, I, that's a good question to ask often, actually. Um, here's what we do on the Osaikomi. And again, we wrote the rules in such a way uh, to, to make it um, – we wanted to encourage more aggressive – uh, Newaza, Katamiwaza, ground fighting. Um, so I've got my opponent. I'm holding him in Osai Komi. I get my 20 seconds. 
The referee, by the way, can talk to me. He's right there, right right by me. He's not standing off on the edge of the mat. He's right in front of me. We, we train our referees to do that. And the referee will tell me, I'm wearing red. So let's say I'm wearing the red belt. He'll say, red, four points. Go for your submission. Now, the referee has just instructed me that I've got four points for my osaikomi. Now, my job is to go for a submission, arm lock or a choke, okay? Um, he will give me a period of about 10 to 10, 15 seconds or so. I've got him written in the rule book. I don't have him right off the top of the head. But he will give me a period of time to try to affect uh, some type of a submission technique, either an arm lock or a, or a strangle. And now if the opponent just continues to lay there, he, obviously the guy knows on the bottom he's been had. He's got four points against him. He's going to get arm locked or strangled if he doesn't move. What happens often, we, we almost always see it, the guy who got pinned is now fighting like a banshee to get out of trouble. And he's going to work everything he can. And, and, and me being the guy on top and getting the Osei Komi points, I'm working really hard to get that submission. So what we've written in the rules is a way of encouraging the athletes to go from to, 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 uh, to, to win by some type of submission technique, whereas we finalize it, we get the e-pawn like that. Um, now, let's say I've got a, the referees instructing me, you've got four points, go for the submission. I've tried. It comes. It becomes a scramble. You know, it's even up. We're, we're, we're engaged in another Nawaza situation, um, and there's no, you know, I can't get the arm lock, but he gets out of trouble. And the referee's going to allow that to continue, that Nawaza about there, that, that, that period there, to continue as long as progress is being made by one or both athletes, whatever it may be. Uh, we're, we're, we're actually trying, we're progressing towards something. And what, what, what happens sometimes is the guy on the bottom, the guy white, I'm red, he gets out, we, a scramble ensues, and he gets out of my control, and I may get control of him again. And let's say if, if that happens, he turns back over on to say on his base, elbows and knees to try to get away. And I can now turn him onto his back and get him into another osaikomi. Now, one thing we do in freestyle judo rules is we will give points for turnovers, breakdowns, guard passes or guard sweeps. We give one point for that. Okay. Because that's, that's kind of like the equivalent to a, a koka only for katami waza. And so, so what will happen? We may end up in a, a scramble. I turn him back over onto his back. Referee will award one point for my turnover or breakdown. And then if I pin him again, I can repin him, and he'll call Osei again. So I may repin him and have a chance to get another four points. So now we've seen really aggressive, risk-taking, um, assertive style of Dewaza that we certainly need to see if we want to win, if we want to develop our athletes to be really, really good technicians on the mat. So, so by, by that rule, by that, that series of things I just described, we are actually seeing in our freestyle tournaments some outstanding uh, Katami Waza, some, some ground fighting action. Um, and and it, it's very, it, we allow them to, do, to c- continue on the Nawaza and ground as long as progress is happening. How do you determine progress in that context? In the referee's mind, and also the two the two judges' mind, if 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 that if you can see that that athlete working towards something, he's he maybe has a position on his, on his opponent. He maybe has hooked a leg in. He sunk a leg in. He maybe has started some type of wrist ride or 
working a lapel for a lapel choke or something, as long as he's working something and it's not just a stalemate, you know, when there's just when, you know, there's a time when they're, they're just, nothing's happening. Uh, you know, they just kind of stop. Uh, then we call Mate, get him up. But we allow a longer period of, of Nawaza to continue. Now I must say back in the late seventies, the seventies through the late, all through the eighties and the early nineties, that's basically what was allowed in judo in the IJF rules. As long as there was progression towards something, and if something was leading to something, then then often referees allowed that Nawaz about to continue. And and when they, when there was no progress, they stood him up. In regards to no progress, what happens if during the match you have a couple of guys who are stiff arming and not really engaging in the fight itself? They are being uh, overly defensive and just just not really doing anything. How do your referees call that? Well, we we have uh, you know just you know as IJF used to do uh, layers of penalties. You know they, they 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 layers of them. The first one, let's say they they engage. First of all, we have a specific rule written. Uh, I don't know if the IJF does. I I don't know the rules that well, honestly. I do them well enough, but I mean I, I couldn't quote them verse by by verse. But but I do on, on our rules. We have a specific period of time that the two athletes must make contact with each, with each other, real contact, not just slap and dash or, you know, hit wrist. They have to actually, you know, grab up, grip up the, the judo geese. So if they don't do that quickly, the referee, or if they do that and they stiff arm and they immediately become very defensive, the referee will immediately, it will, it will give them 10 seconds to see what develops. Nothing develops. If they're standing there stiff arming, the referee is instructed. Again, we can talk to them as our officials can talk to them. Now, we won't have casual conversations or coach them, but the referee will say, say again, red and white. So red's the offending uh, judoka here. So he'll say, red, uh, you're stiff arming, get aggressive. You're stiff arming, you're stiff arming, you're too stiff. He will tell the guy. So, and that is, and that's a verbal, that's the first one, okay? And that counts as, to us, that's a shido. That's a freebie. That's your gotcha. free warning, okay? Right. And now the referee will, judge that give about another 10 seconds of action if nothing happens then the referee will stop the contest and get him back on the line and point to the official or point to the to the red contestant and say chewy you know and that chewy will now be one point for his opponent so by his actions of being stiff arm and too overly defensive he just gave his opponent a point and he's in trouble. He's already dug a hole for himself now point wise. Okay. They start again. If he continues on, if he continues the next, the next violation will be a two pointer. And, and, and after the two point, now that would be a, um, that would be uh, let me see the first one. Shido Chewy, uh, Keikoku would be a two pointer right. or yeah. To Keikoku with two pointer. And now the next one's Hansokumaki. Hansokumaki. And if he, and if he does something else, I mean, he's in trouble because he could do something else against the rules and these these penalties accumulate, and he could find himself disqualified. So now, he's really if, dug himself a hole by being defensive. That's a so that really does stop a lot of that silliness. Actually, does that approach to refereeing apply on the ground as well? As we all know, there are ways to stall on the ground. So how do the referees call that? One of the things I always thought was from the very start of my. You know, for, for many years, I thought one of the weaknesses in our judo rule set uh, that, that, that I wanted to change, if I could, to encourage more aggressive Nawaza, Katami Waza, 
was people laying on their belly. What I what I would call my when I was coaching when I was coaching kids, I called it chicken judo. When you're laying there flat on your face, hiding, hoping the referee will call mate for you and get you out of trouble, you know. And I said, well, you're a chicken if you fight like that. So we always call it chicken judo. I don't mean to demean anyone, but when you lay like that and you're waiting for the referee to get you out of trouble, I honestly believe you deserve what you get, you know. And and uh, so what we've done in the rules is I've written into just like you can get a stiff arming penalty standing up. It's equivalent down on the in a Katami Waza situation. If I have somebody, let's say Red is the offending uh, judoka again, if if he's laying there belly down, not engaging and trying to get out of trouble, uh, just just you know try, try to just you know hide. The referee is empowered. The first one, you know, Red, get active, get active, Red, get active. This is Shido, get active, Red. He knows he's in trouble. He's got his first verbal warning. If he continues to lay there for another, you know, few seconds, you know, and not any active, and the other the other athlete White is trying to engage, turning him over, getting him, he's being you know aggressively trying to pursue doing judo, and Red continues to be very defensive or passive. We call it passivity. Um, he will get his uh, chewy, but we won't stand him up because that'll get him out of trouble. So we'll give him the chewy right there on the spot. The referee will say, Red. Chewy, one point white, and it'll go up on the scoreboard. And now Red knows he's in trouble. He better get active. If he keeps to continues to lay there, he'll get another. He'll get a two point penalty assessed against him. And the next one will be a Hansokomaki. So if now if but but if you're genuinely laying there and you're just trying to defend yourself and you're trying to get back on a base and get out of the trouble, that's one thing. The referee will see. You know, Red may be really trying to aggressively, you know, get out of trouble if he can to you know, get from the bottom to the top. But if he, but if he just lays there and, and you and I, like you just said, we've seen him, we've seen that happen. That, that, that athlete will get, you know, penalties assessed against him. So we do have very strict penalties uh, and very strict rules about passivity in, in Katami Waza because we now, want, um, I want to follow up with some of these different types of penalties that could or could not happen. What about things in terms of grips and grip fighting? And do you have specific rules on what kind of grips the athletes can or can't take? And, you know, maybe not go over every single rule, but perhaps some that may be different from the IJF. Well, you know, we, we're pretty specific on the, on the gripping and we're actually quite liberal on the gripping. Um, we were well ahead, I think, of the game with everybody in gripping. Um, the only thing we don't allow or grab, grabbing, uh, grabbing inside the sleeve or inside the pant leg to cuff the pants, you know, actually inside of it. Uh, to, you know, that's often a stalling or a very defensive, passive situation. Or um, let me see another one we, do, we don't allow is, is just grabbing the bottom of the belt and hanging on it in a standing situation. But you can use it in Nawaza. But almost any grip goes. I mean, the, the, the Georgian grip from Sambo, a two-on-one, I can hold as long as I'm actively – like on a two-on-one grip, I'm holding, say, my, my right hand on my opponent's uh, right lapel, my left hand on his right sleeve. As long as I'm actively trying a throw, that's a good grip. You know, I could be grabbing, holding onto his belt as well. I could hold onto his belt with a grip. And as long as I'm trying, and what we, what we instruct our referees, we train them hard on this too, is that uh, when our referee sees, like on a belt grip, when, when, when red is holding white and he's got his right hand on, on white's belt. And as long as he's got that elbow bent and he's trying something to do with that arm, he's trying to actually lift 
for a throw, uh, try to, to use it to actually throw his opponent. But if he starts stiffening that arm, you know, I see that elbow go straight and it becomes stiff. And now we're starting to do a push away. That's obviously a defensive grip. So that's when the referee will instruct the offending grappler, the offending judoka, red, uh, red, you're getting defensive, stiffen, you know, work it out, you know, get, get aggressive. So now what about grip fighting in terms of stripping grips and such? Because currently on the IJF scene, if the referees see you continually stripping grips without positive action, they will call a shido on you. So under the freestyle judo rule set, how do you avoid? And I do think stripping grips has its place, but I think it could get easily a bit much. How do you, does freestyle judo handle this? Well, yeah, yeah. The, I think the IGF is on the right track with that too. We, we, we certainly do the same thing. When you start getting a slapdash stuff, where people are batting away and the hands batting and all that, we, you know, that's that's negative. That's passive judo. Um, when, when someone does like strip a strip a grip and go for it, we want them to grip, regrip quickly. And if they don't, if they become passive with it, if they strip it away and they try to make, you know, try to make space to get away and maybe they are trying to avoid someone's move and that's understandable. But if they're just getting passive with it, they're they're just stripping away and running, then that's passive judo. That's 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 negative judo. And we're going to we're going to penalize them, you know, correctly for it. But again, it could be a shido or whatever it may be in in terms of their hierarchy, where they are in their penalty assessment already. But um you have to be aggressive really going for a grip and um, we're, we're quite liberal with the grip. So, you know, we could have a two on one grip. You can have both hands on the belt as long as you're trying to throw the opponent, uh, you have both hands on the same sleeve as long as you're trying to th- throw the opponent. But if you're, you're pushing out like you're wedging with your head, uh, like you see in Greco Roman, a lot of some guys who do Greco Roman will come to do judo or whatever. And, and they'll, they'll maybe they'll do a two on one tie up like a Russian tie up and they'll wedge their head in the, the opponent's head or shoulder as just a, to keep him at bay. Well, that's that's obviously passive judo. We don't allow that. So he would get a penalty for that. So um, we, we really try to encourage good, aggressive grip fighting. We want it to lead to something. The grip has to actually lead to something. If we see that someone is just negate, you know, negatively, uh, passively breaking grip and, and running, just like the IGF, we will, we will penalize that heavily. And uh, – uh, but again, we are very liberal with our grips. We allow the pistol grip. Uh, we allow them just about every belt grip as long as the athlete is actually trying to use that to throw or manipulate his opponent in, into a move. And I believe you said earlier that contests don't necessarily allow for leg diving type of judo. So a referee doesn't say Hajime and then all of a sudden you, you dive in. and uh, Yeah, that, that, that's a no-go. Yeah, yeah we, we don't allow that. We, we, the, the athletes do have to grip up initially. They don't, they don't have to come up the middle and grab passively. You know, they can grip fight. But if, if I want to hit a double leg like a Morote Gari, okay? Right. If I want to hit my Morote Gari, I have to actually have contact by gripping both hands on my opponent initially. And then I can shoot for the drop down. I don't want to say shoot. I was a drop down for the Morote Gari to hit the move. Uh, rather than, you know, from a three or two or three foot distance, like a wrestler would shoot on a low double. Um, that 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 by that that rule of having them grip first before they can try a leg grab, it really stops a lot of that wrestling in the judo gi. It has just shut it down completely, and we've had wonderful results with it because you, we'll see people do big, booming morote gares or you know, uh, Tegarumas or, or like what's now Obitori Gaishi, which is the, uh, the old Carbarelli. We'll see that. And of course you have to lift the pant leg to throw them. And 
as long as it's the action of throwing, um, we, you know, we see all those big throws in, in freestyle judo. And it's, uh, and I think it's simply because we've taken a real common sense approach to how to handle that whole grabbing the leg thing. You know, I think the, uh, I don't want to be too you know, hard on the IGF. I, I certainly don't because I respect their work, but, but I think they, 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 they made it too much. They went overboard on assessing the penalties for touching the leg. Um, you know, I mean, when you just touch a leg and get a penalty, that, that just doesn't make sense to me. You know, I mean, it, it, yeah, I, there, I, there's I, so I many agree. throws we use it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you there. In, in general, when it comes to being a spectator, I can understand why the IGF made those particular rules or rule changes, and it certainly led to a better-looking match. Oh, I think so, too. Yeah, when you, when you eliminated all that bending over and, and you know, grabbing but, the legs, you know. Yeah, but, you know, in my, in my opinion, I really think all they needed to do was get rid of the Coca and the Yuko because Merol Tegari didn't score very much in high-level competition, and I think... I, I think a solid Morote Gari is awesome to see because it can be such a devastating move, but I, I think Judo did lose something with these changes, and I feel that you may have a better answer here with Freestyle Judo. Well, I, I thought it was actually um, a simple answer, and often the simple things seem to work best. And, and just by requiring the athletes to, to grip each other initially before they go to a, a leg grab type technique, and it really did. It, when, when I when I say it solved the problem, I, I am not kidding. 100% of the time, uh, we will get, you know, wrestlers who come in and try the freestyle judo rule set. They like it generally. But one thing they don't like, and they always gripe about it, is that they can't dive for a double or single leg. Well, no, this is judo. It isn't wrestling. So, you know, and so they have to understand that they have to adapt to our sport, just like we have to adapt to wrestling rules when we do wrestling. So I, I think that's. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you make that point because one of my questions, and I believe you've already answered it, is, you know, how do you think freestyle, how does freestyle judo test judo skill as opposed to grappling skill? But, but this was, this was before I had an understanding of, of your, 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 the way you approach the leg grab, uh, the, the leg grabbing mm -hmm. techniques. So I, I think, um, that, that's very, very interesting. And, and it, it's good to see that you've created a rule set that, that really does aim to test judo skill. Yeah, that's the that's the point of, uh, like I said, it was one of the, the five primary points we wanted to do. We want to, uh, you know, and, and some people criticize us for saying, uh, we say it's judo the way it ought to be. You know, and that, that may sound you know, maybe braggadocio, but uh, my friend John Saylor, uh, he helped me on developing these rules, by the way. He's, he was a, people, some of the newer listeners don't know John Saylor, uh, he now lives in Perrysville, Ohio, has a wonderful training camp every year. Um, he was the Olympic training center coach, uh, from 1983 to 1991 or 92. Um, he was a several time U S heavyweight champion, won medals in the Pan American championships, an international judo player, uh, a serious injury to his shoulder really probably might've kept him off the Olympic team in 1984. Uh, and he, he's been a very good friend of mine for probably 35, 40 years. Um, but, um, and he helped me, you know, I, I would have an idea about these rules. And I'd call John or I was talk to my wife too. My wife was a wonderful sounding board and, or Norm Miller, our AAU judo chairman in Milwaukee. Um, they, they helped me round these, these things out, you know, these, these rules out. And as Kenny Brink, one of my black belts here and instructors, I would talk to him about it. But, but uh, you know, the, the point was, is 
it, when and John was the one that coined the phrase, you know, he says, well, heck, this is judo the way it ought to be. He, you know, we, we allow by saying that we don't mean to brag or say that we're better than anybody else. What, what we're, we're honestly saying is that these set of rules allow a judo athlete and a judo coach to teach athletes uh, a full and total set of judo technical skill, and they're allowed to use it. You know, we, we don't allow Kane Basami or Kawazugaki because they do cause injury. You know, it's been proven right. to be that safe. So, so the, the only things we don't allow are things that will hurt somebody. But we allow just about everything else. And so that's kind of how we came up with the name Freestyle Judo because it, it was kind of a, an, open, uh, an open approach to doing judo. It wasn't, you know, uh, one, one, a wrestler came to one of our tournaments when we first, I think, in 2009. And he was trying all sorts of crazy stuff. He, he you know, and he was, he, he didn't, didn't quite get the set of rules. And uh, he was basically trying to make uh, uh, freestyle judo into wrestling to suit his purposes, you know, to win the tournament. And, sure. and, and he said to me, he said, well, will you call this freestyle? That means anything goes, right? I said, no, no, it's, it's judo. <laughs> yeah. and the idea for freestyle is that, you know, we want to have a free open, um, uh, you know, a, I don't want to say a total approach, but, but, you know, it's full approach to, as you can technically and tactically to winning a judo match. And so that's why we kind of came up with the name. Um, no other names were really suitable. Uh, we needed a name to actually give it some identity. We knew that from a, right. from a standpoint of people learning about it and hearing about it. So freestyle was, you know, the, the, the best choice we could come up with at the time, with the time so- so we've kind of been stuck with it really. So um, now there's a, there's a set of questions that I want to move on uh, yeah. to, but but before we get there, I do have one last question in regards to the rule sets and stuff. How do you see the competitors? Do you see a lot of strategy from the competitors to try and take advantage of the rules? So, for instance, as you, I'm sure you're well aware, with the IJF, you see a lot of edge play. Um, right. which I can't stand watching. I know what you guys are. It's like, a, you know, I sit there watching. I know what you guys are trying to do. You're not really trying to fight. You're just trying to induce penalties and stuff. Do you, right. do you see a lot of that in your competitions? Well, y- human nature is people are going to use the rules to their advantage however of they course. can, you know, no matter what set of rules it is. And, uh, but what we've tried to do is, um, and, and again, the tactics, you know, the, what's done on the mat, the actual, strategy on the mat the applied strategy you know you're going to see athletes use it in a freestyle judo set of rules or igf set of rules whatever it may be but but generally um because again the the, the referees talk to the athletes uh if we're get, if they're getting too close to the edge like you mentioned you know line play uh the the referee will say to both of them work to the center work to the center gotcha you know, yeah so so we will kind of we try to stop we don't want to like i tell the athletes before every tournament when i want to do a rules clinic with the guys and the gals i say look i don't want to give you penalties i, I really don't i want you to slam each other for a pawn i want you to arm lock or choke or whatever i want you to do good judo i don't want to have to give you penalties so don't make me give you a penalty so and and, and, and allow again allowing our referees this was another thing i thought we did quite well was allowing our referees to not not engage in conversation, but to talk to the athletes, to get them to steer, like like I said, to steer them back from the line where they're back toward the center of the mat, and then they'll be more fully engaged in doing 
other things besides trying to see who can walk each other out of bounds. And, and I think that's a great way to go about it because I know I get, you know in regards to other sports in this country, it, it, um, for for instance, I know I know in basketball or even in baseball and football and such, you'll have the refs sit there and say, "Look, you're in the wrong position. Look, you've got to stop doing this. I'm going to give yeah. you a call. I'm going to call you for a foul. I'm going to blow the whistle if you keep doing this." And you know, I mean, you know, they don't do that with every single uh, foul, but but you know, they 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 try and enforce the game and the rules as the, the the competition is unfolding. And I think I think that's a really good way to go about it. Instead yeah, yeah, of and letting the athletes just do what they do, and and then you know, not giving right, them and, an opportunity to correct themselves. And also, from a spectator point of view, it keeps the match flowing. It keeps it right. going because I don't have to stop them. <clears throat> And then give a penalty or get them back in the middle. If I can talk to them and they can work back into the center, then then the, the, the match hasn't stopped. And and it is also from a safety issue too. You know, if I can see, especially when we work with the children, you know, in kids matches, you know, if I see something is about to happen that's that's unsafe, um, we'll tell them. You know, the referee is empowered to say, you know, don't do this because you know it's obviously something's going to happen that could cause injury. So we found that works quite well for us as well. So again, yeah, and I, you know, and, and on the flip side, I can I can understand why the IGF doesn't do that because oftentimes, you, you know, you've got a guy from Israel fighting a guy from Kazakhstan, and the referee is from China, and right. none of them actually speak t- yeah. the same yeah, language. Right. So right, I can right. understand, you know, the other side of this too. I but sure I do, do too. like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I do like that. You know, at least for what you're doing, um, it's it's a good way to go about it. Yeah. Right. Now, what has been the reception to freestyle judo among your colleagues in judo? Not necessarily the people who are on board per mm-hmm. se. And I'm sure you have some critics and detractors, but or or I'm interested in what the response is, not just from them, but maybe from other people who don't do freestyle judo, but but just kind of have their own recreational club. Well, you know, I it, I get a mixed review. Uh, depends on your point of view of what you think judo ought to be, or or you think maybe some people have a mistaken notion that we're trying to do a new style of judo or whatever, and so they may come at me from, well, you're trying this. Who do who who do you think you are? Uh, but they don't understand what we're actually doing. But really, the people who know me, uh, and I, I know a lot of people in judo. You know, of course, fifty I, years. Again, I, yeah, I haven't. Yeah. I'm, I learned a lot of the old timers, a lot of, a lot of the younger coaches I don't know so well because I don't get out that much and just kind of within my own realm of activity here. But 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 for the most people, uh, they've been really good reception. Uh, people say, I understand why you're doing this. Uh, the, the, the purpose of it was primarily is to d- development, grassroots development. This this right. set of rules is a, a, a good set of rules for for people to learn judo on and to nurture in judo. And then if they if they want to go on to a you know, IGF level or a higher level of judo, certainly we make no claim we are the final authority on, you know, or want to supplant or replace the USA Judo or anybody else. We are a definite development program. We make no bones about it in our AAU judo program and uh, freestyle judo is part of the AAU. And so the people who know me and, and who are involved in USA Judo or the USJA or whatever organization and they, they say, "Hey, you're you're on the right track. You're doing great work. You know, it's it's good, good grassroots judo. We're we're all for it." And other people might might have a different might have might have a different point of view. But I, I found for the most part, 
uh, people are generally pretty accepted. And, and I'll say, well, hey, I'll, I'll try to recruit them, get on board. And I'll say, well, you know, I'm involved in this. I do this. And, I, and I'll say, that's, that's cool. You know, you have, you have what you're doing well, and you're doing it quite well. Continue to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. But, but they understand why I've kind of taken this route. And, um, you know, I'm not trying to be a contrarian or, or a splinter group or anything else. Uh, uh, but, but I really think there's a need for a developmental program and a great way to in the in our community of judo, our sport of judo in the United States, especially, and and if we have a rule set that, that you know encourages development, then then that's all the better. And um, so I think for the most part we've got a pretty good reception from people. Um, when people come and they they have an open mind or they just want to give freestyle judo rules a try, they really like it. Uh, I had a referee who was a, a fairly good IGF referee. He asked me, he, I don't want to mention names because he, you know, I know how politics are and something. Sure, sure, sure. Misunderstand. But, but he came down to, to our tournament, one of our tournaments in Baton Rouge, one of our nationals, a couple, two, three years ago, whenever. And he watched a few matches and he introduced to me. I, I knew him and we talked. And he said, uh, you mind if I get on the mat and give this a try? I said, well, you're exceedingly good referee. I think just as, he kind of picked up the gist of what freestyle judo was about. Then he got on the mat. He, he stayed all day. He roughed all day. He had a wonderful time. And he said, I love these rules. And I said, well, you know, can we count on you to come back? He said, yeah, the position I'm in, I really can't do that. I said, I understand. He yeah. said, but you, I want you to know these are great rules. <laughs> You're onto something. I said, well, that's good to hear. So, so it sounds like you have, you have some like, like peripheral support from people within yeah, the three national so. governing bodies. It's so I, I think so. that's a good thing that they don't they don't look at you as some kind of a heretic or anything like that. I, I now, think I think in some past years they may have when they didn't understand what we were really trying to do. Sure, but, but you know over a period of time when they saw that we, you know that I wasn't making some play to be some big judo weenie or something like this. We were actually honestly trying to help judo. They said, yeah, well, you know. Let, let them do what they do. They seem to be doing okay. So I, I think I think that's the case where it is now. You know. So situation. Do you, does your club does Welcome Mat belong to one of the three major judo organizations? Oh yeah, we we sure do. We of course we're an AAU club. Uh, we encourage people to get AAU is a professional sports organization. I think the the, the oldest sports organization certainly in the United States. I think it was founded yeah. in 1885 or something, and and it has wonderful. Uh, benefits of being AAU members, certainly club members, coaches, so on, athletes. But yes, we are also a, a member of USA Judo. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Kenny, Kenny Brink certainly. Um, I think just a few weeks back or month or so back, he had the kids out in Reno for the for the tournament out there. Uh, they go to as many USA Judo tournaments as they can, uh, and and they do, uh, especially our kids program because um, we want them to be get a full picture of what judo is about, and I think everyone should. You know, I, I don't want to say you should just belong to our association, nobody else's. I, I think what we offer in AAU Judo, um, and if, if people go to the AAU website, ausports.org, they can see that we AAU offers a lot of good benefits to coaches uh, for, for insurance, um, you know, sanctioning of tournaments. Uh, you know, if you uh, like a uh, young man here, uh, Mike Russell does a wonderful job out here in South Kansas City with his Triple D Judo tournament. Or Triple D Judo Club, he held a really good little tournament here yesterday, a little freestyle tournament uh, using our freestyle rules. It was an AAU tournament. Uh, he was able to get the medals at a, at a great discount from the AAU. He didn't have to buy them from the AAU, but the AAU has such a good deal on medals 
you want to buy them from them because it's a good and they're really nice metals. So th there are a lot of benefits to it um, for, for actual for an actual club coach again for development. And uh, you know, I would encourage people to get into AAU judo because they have supported us wonderfully through all of this. They provided the sanctioning, the insurance, um, the banners. When, when we when we hold our national tournament, they provide the banners and the medals and the T-shirts. Uh, these are all things that no kidding. Uh, wow, yeah, that's they absolutely a lot do. more than a lot of uh, uh, yes, sir. Some they, of the they, judo organizations they're, they're fabulous do. to work with. I and, and again, the AAU is a professional sports administration body. That's what they do. They I think thirty five or more sports. Judo is one of them, and um, yeah, they're pros. They're, they're very good. They have a national headquarters down in Orlando. Uh, if I have a trouble with, if I have a situation comes up, I can call, uh, you know, our, our, our liaison, our, our judo liaison with the AAU, and we can get things worked out. Uh, so, you know, they're they're very they're very heads up, professional. Um, it's inexpensive to join um, and, and to belong, uh, and the insurance alone is worth it for a coach. I mean, it's sure. the best. It's actually the best insurance policy in martial arts in general, and. Uh, I would encourage people to do it. And that's, and they've been very good to us. They've been very good to us. And I, I'm a total backer of AAU uh, as the old timers, the very old timers like me will remember when the AAU was the governing body of judo prior to the presidential sports act of 1978, when it was basically the, uh, uh, the government came in and basically broke up the, the AAU was a monopoly over the sports. And that's when the U S Olympic committee gained more power and, and, and really branched out the power to each sport. Like uh, at that time, um, the a like we had an AAU judo committee at that time. And, and, uh, and then the, the national, the uh, presidential sports act in 78 changed that. And by 1980 USJI us judo incorporated, which is now USA judo was, was formed. Yeah. And I was in gotcha. on the ground floor of that. So, but, but since, but AAU is, has pretty much retained judo as a sport. And um, we, you know, we, uh, we kind of reinvigorated here lately and in the last few years. Norm Miller out of Milwaukee is our national chairman. He and I work very closely together. And um, so, uh, you know, they've been very good to us. So, I, But, yes, we do belong to other organizations. Uh, having been in this game a long time, I've been in just about every organization there, <laughs> there is, I think. And, uh, and you know, um, I've never had, you know, I can't say anything bad against them because they all do their thing well. And so, so what um, now what is uh, your current rank structure at your club when it comes to promotions and stuff? Is that done through USA Judo as well? We, some of the ranks we do if if they want to, they they can go through that. But we we formed back in 2004. John Saylor and I formed our own little Yadon Shikai, and I, I'd been doing that. I'd been, uh, you know, prior to that, I'd be their JA or USA Judo or whatever it was through prior to the, you know, those years prior to that. But, but when we, when I formed the, our little Yadon Chikai, we call it the Judo Black Belt Association. Um, you know, we don't expect other people to join it if they don't want to, but it's, it was kind of an independent organization. You know, I'm a firm believer and I'm, I'm a big fan of Jigoro Kano. He was a great educator. I think he was a genius, but he was an educator and he, he, he approached Judo from an educational point of view. And when he, in, a history lesson for some of the, the younger people might be listening to this. Jigoro Kano was the guy who invented ranks. He invented the right. judo rank system and all the martial arts eventually, uh, you know, you know, became part of that too. They, they, they had their own ranks too, but the, the initial concept of it was just like a school teacher that he was. 
that he wanted to grade his students based on their performance and, and you know, and, and elevate them, to, you know, to a higher level. And, you know, as time goes on and things develop, we've got all these different colored belts and this and that. Um, and, and the different organizations have their different standards. And honestly, from, from my own point of view, I'm, I'm, I kind of know what I'm doing when it comes to coaching. And, and um, so, you know, I, I talked to John Saylor about this. We discussed it heavily. Um, let's form our own little group and promote our own people. Uh, with that our people know that, um, you know, maybe somebody might not recognize their rank, but, but we've never had a problem with that, frankly, um, because we hold really high standards, uh, you know, for our ranks. Um, and, and we, you know, we really, we really test them thoroughly. If you get a black belt from me, I think you've really earned it, you know? So, um, that's, that's how we do it here at welcome, Matt. Uh, so, I so I have a, I have it. a, so I have a follow-up question to yeah. that. And, and this, this, this actually came from, from a particular user on Reddit. He, he made the following statement and, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I'm sure this kind of sentiment is not new to you. So I would like to give yeah. you an opportunity to be able to provide an answer. So okay. I'll, I will read his question here and I'd like you to respond when I, when I tell you when you know, sure. know the question. So, so the, the question goes, Steve Scott claims he is not making a splinter group or trying to outdo the other judo organizations in the United States. So I'm curious to know why he has created a belt promotion system or why he is using a phrase judo the way it ought to be. Both of these seem to me as if, as if he's trying to make his own personal judo organization that he is trying to brand and sell as better. I feel like the belt promotion system is also in place to promote people that support the organization and rule set. I'm definitely not an authority on judo politics, though I will say I've seen his videos. I, I enjoy his content and thought it was interesting on YouTube. I'm not a fan of the freestyle judo rule set. I don't mind the competition other than though I'm not affiliated. He's just so so. He's basically saying he's not he's not really attacking you, but he is. I did think he brought up a very fair question. How would you answer those people who say to you, "Well, you're just creating your own belt system, and you could." You could promote yourself to twelfth dan and give you the pink belt or something like that, you know? <laughs> like like so how would you answer those types of criticisms with what you are doing here? Well, you know, one neither neither John or I or I've never sought any higher rank. I'm you know, like years ago I, I told an individual, uh, my belt can't get any blacker, so there you go. Um but but beyond that um, I think I answered the question about judo the way it ought to be. I think that was really just an honest assessment, of, uh, you know, of what we're trying to do. We're trying to allow the full full range of judo skill to be exhibited and, and done in, in set to allow that to happen. So, so it was kind of an honest approach. It was just, you know, I, I, I'm sorry if it sounds like we're bragging, but we're really not. We're just being honest about it. It's, it's judo the way really you'd love to see it done, you know. And sure. And, and so, but but as, but as far as rank. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, I've been in this game a long time. I, I you know, I, I like to think I know a little bit about it. And and for my own students, um, you know, I, I think I'm certainly capable and qualified to promote them uh, within a certain level. Uh, you know, we don't go out and we don't promote people to these high don grades. Uh, they know they're, you know, at some point, if they want to go on, they want to become uh, some multicolored belt or something. Then there are other organizations they might want to try for. That's fine. But. But honestly, a good friend of mine years ago, a mentor of mine in many ways, Bill Clark, he was a, in, involved in AAU weightlifting. And um, 
through the years, I've been involved in strength sports as well. Um, I used to be one of those crazy guys that put on a kilt and do the Scottish Highland games. I loved doing that for many years. So I was always around strength sports. But 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 uh, Bob, uh, but uh, uh, Bill Clark said to me, um, we were talking about judo, and he, he was asking me about the belts. He said, and he attended one of our judo meetings at, at the time, and this was back in the 70s when the AAU was still the governing body. And he said, you judo guys, he said, you spent 90% of your time arguing about belts. Who this belt or that belt? He said, "You guys live in a world of belts," and that's that phrase struck with me. I mean, it, it struck a chord. Because, and in one of my books that I've written, when coaching, you know, I, one of the chapters I had a small chapter with the world of belts. You know, so um, you know, again, as you as I mentioned before, I'm in Sambo as well. I've been in Sambo for many years. We have two belts in Sambo, two colored belts. And, and they correspond to the color of the jacket you're wearing. If you're wearing a red jacket, you're a red belt. If you're wearing a blue jacket, you're a blue belt. We don't seem to have a problem with belts. Right, and, right, right. And, and so, so that's kind of my way I'm coming from it. Um, yeah, we have belts in judo. Jiro Kano is the guy that invented them. But Jiro Kano is also the guy uh, back somewhere in the early 20s. Or I, I just don't have my notes in front of me to remember. But, but he also invented the Yadonshikai system, the Black Belt Association system. And where where a group of competent, qualified black belts can promote their students to a fitting rank. So he also, in addition to inventing the general rank system, he invented a system, a structure allowing qualified people to do that. And when you look at the people who issue ranks in our country, the, the different, you know, judo organizations, you know, how did they come about? They were basically Yadonshikais, black belt associations. That went on a national level, right? And and, and sometimes, and, and we all know this is a fact. Sometimes those standards get watered down quite a bit, and and uh, you know. So I, I honestly believe, as a, as a, as a coach here in, in my my neck of the woods, you know, um, I'm very strict with my students. Uh, they have to know their judo. And they have to know exceedingly well before I'll put a black belt on them. My my, my standards are very stronger. Than, than the national standards. And I'm not saying that to brag, it's just true. And sure. because I know my people, they represent me and I don't want, I don't want somebody accusing them of being a phony or being unqualified or unskilled or whatever. But, but, you know, that doesn't mean they have to be all the toughest guy in the world because, you know, uh, one of my showdowns who's been with me for like 30 years, um, he's a, a close to 60. He's had, uh, four heart operations, I believe, and two knee operations and a shoulder operation. And the guy still keeps coming back, you know? So, but he's, you know, he's a black belt, but uh, he's a, uh, he's a recreational player, uh, you know, he's not a hardcore competitor. So judo allows for that. Judo allows for those type of people to uh, nurture and learn judo just as well as the, the tough young 22 year old kid who likes to go fight in all the tournaments. So, so, yeah, so we do, we do tend to live in the world of belts. I don't want to be, you know, I don't mean to sound in a harsh way to anyone. Who, who And I know judo, the belt structure is very much part of judo. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it and, is, yeah. And this is the yeah. way, and this is the best way I can deal with it. Um, because, you know, I, I found that, that I, I really, um, I, I know what my students know best, you know, and, and, and they do that. And again, if they want to pursue rank with one of the major organizations, they're certainly welcome to. I never hold them back. 
Um, right. You know, uh, Ken, Ken Brink, one of my, like I said, the head coach for our judo program, just got his fifth on from USA Judo. So uh, we, you know, we don't hold them back. We encourage them to, to fully participate in every phase of judo. And uh, so, no, we're not, we're not trying to say we're better. We're not a splinter group. We, we want to add, we want to be a positive addition to what's going on in judo. And I think this rule set, um, you know, just like, uh, you know, you know, uh, like wrestling, if, if you look at Olympic wrestling, there are two sets of rules for Olympic wrestling, freestyle and Greco. You know, anybody who watches the Olympics knows that. But, right. but what, what a lot of people don't know is, or they may know, they, but they just, it's kind of an unsaid thing, is that here in the United States especially, we have the, probably one of the strongest wrestling programs in the world. But the rules we use for college and wrestling are different than the rules they use for the Olympics. But what they do, interesting. They're they're simple. Yeah, they're simple. They that what's called folk style wrestling or you know scholastic wrestling. Um, the, the 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 rules are simple. They're easy to understand, and they encourage good wrestling. The rules that we use in high school and college, like you, when you watch the NCAA wrestling championships, and I love to watch them every year. When they were in Kansas City, I went and watched them because I I love good college wrestling. But um, you, th- those rules are different than the rules quite a bit different than Greco-Roman rules. But the wrestlers who do the wrestling, you know, under those rules, they can come up and, and USA Wrestling has Greco-Roman camps where they, uh, you know, they take good college wrestlers and you know, high school wrestlers and they teach them the Greco rules. But basically what I'm saying is good wrestling is good wrestling. Right, And you right. just have to adapt to that rule set. And, and you can do that fairly quickly, actually. And um, we, we have some of the best wrestlers in the world. So, so I'm saying is, you know, why why is it such a blasphemy? Why is it such a bad thing for any group, whether it's my group or any group, to come out and say, well, we've got a set of contest rules that encourage people to do judo, and it's it's it's, it's a little it's easy to understand. Its numerical scores are easy to understand. Um, it encourages good skill development. It's safe. It's fair, objective. Um, those are all positive things for a sport, and. So, you know, I, I say, well, you know, I can understand if there's some feet, you know, pushback on, you know, if we're not Olympic style judo. No, we're not. It's but it's judo and it's a good development judo. So, again, I, I think a good analogy is what we're doing is to what's happening in the world of wrestling, um, certainly here in the United States. So, um, so if people want to have a comparison, that might be it. So I, I got this other question from somebody on, on Reddit again. There was, I got a lot of interaction. Now I'm not going to read all, a bunch of questions that I got on Facebook and Reddit yeah. because most of what I had, I, I was already going to ask anyway, but this was, okay. this was an interesting situation here, uh, that somebody asked. A typical judoka and a typical Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guy both enter a freestyle judo tournament, neither with past freestyle, uh, judo tournament experience. They each have a week to practice the rule set. All things being equal in terms of training time, athleticism, etc. Who do you think has the better chance of winning, the judo guy or the Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner under your rule set? Hmm. I think the heart of that question is, you know, which would, would be better in, in freestyle judo, a BJJ guy or a judo guy? Well, remember, it is judo. <laughs> Number right. one, it is judo. And so, uh, you know, and, and again, you know, it, it depends on uh, each individual athlete because I don't think any things are ever really – say the same you know somebody's going to be a better athlete than the other guy but that being said if they only had a week to prepare for the rule set i think the judo guy would have the advantage although i must say this 
we get a lot of BJJ guys who come to freestyle judo tournaments and they love it because, because they, and and they, they prepped because I rarely have a problem with these guys. Uh, Not, not rarely. So sometimes we do, but usually not the bending over because, you know, the BJJ guys, and I'm not slamming BJJ. It's a wonderful sport, but, but, but they tend to bend over quite a bit, you know, and they, and they pull guard and stuff like that. And that's part of their sport. So if you've been doing that for years and it's an automatic responsive movement on your part, almost to the point of being intuitive, um, then you might you might get in trouble in a judo tournament, even even a freestyle judo tournament where we encourage Nawaza because we do encourage Nawaza with our rules. So a, a BJJ guy will like the, the the ground fighting aspect of freestyle judo. And, and plenty of guys, plenty of BJJ guys who've come to our tournaments have said, hey, I love these rules. If every judo tournament was like this, I'd do more judo. And that'd be great. But we also, but, but, but to answer the question, I think the judo guy would probably have the advantage because he's been doing judo longer. He's used to the stand-up aspect of it. Um, and and he, he would probably know how to play the game a little better, whether it's freestyle rules or IJF rules. It's still judo. Yeah. And, but, but again, I wouldn't want to discourage any of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys to, to try it. You know, try it because um, I think you'll, you know, like to say, try it. You'll like it because I think you really will. Uh, just, just get your get your stand-up game better. Um, I, I was out last year uh, doing a clinic for Scott Decker at uh, in, in the Phoenix, Arizona area. He's a wonderful program, freestyle judo program out there, um, and I had a really good BJJ guy, a, a really a, a internationally ranked BJJ guy, come out for one of my seminars out there, and he was just a wonderful guy. And he was really, I mean, super Nawaza guy. His ground fighting was really good. In fact, he had a very fast pace. It wasn't slow. It was a real fast pace, aggressive BGJ, which I really love to see. And but his but his weakness was, admittedly so. He said, "My my weakness is my stand up game." He said, "I know some good takedowns, some good throws, but but I but I don't know him like to win at a judo tournament." And he didn't know about, you know, he couldn't use his hip to do hip blocks or taisabaki or stuff like that. So he would have to learn that. Even though he was a very high-level BJJ guy, he would have to learn some of the stand-up moves in, that that we tend to do a lot in judo. So there would be a disadvantage to him for that. Uh, but I think he, he would take just a few months and he'd pick it up. He was a very good athlete. So I think I would encourage the guys who do BJJ who are listening to this: uh, go to a judo dojo, you know, uh, work out with the guys in judo, or get a, get a judo coach coach to come in and work with you guys so you can work up your stand-up game and and get the rules and the stand-up action better and then i would encourage the judo guys who do strictly igf style judo and they don't do a lot of nawaza unfortunately they need to really start working on their ground game uh because really judo invented you know the nawaza we see in whatever sport it is these days whether it's mma or brazilian jiu-jitsu or even sambo you know it all came from kano's judo kodakan judo was the basis of all of it and you know, that's why I wrote the rules so people would be encouraged to do more Nawaza as well as good stand-up judo. I, no. I, had a, I had a very good coach actually thank me one time at a tournament, and he said, he said, I just want to thank you for letting us do Nawaza again. I said, I'm not letting you do Nawaza again. I'm just, I'm just encouraging you to do it. He said, well, thank you anyway. So I, I think if, I could, if that answered in a very long-winded way that guy's question, I, I hope I answered it sufficiently. Yeah, and I think I think that's a very very detailed answer, um, and and I, and I think you brought up a lot of points there, and I and I know the listeners will appreciate that. 
Now, I got uh, two final questions for you. Actually, sure. I could probably just merge them into one. Um, how can people help freestyle judo grow in the United States and throughout the rest of the world? Because I know there's, there's, I, I've received that question uh, a couple times. So I'm, I, I'd like to give you an opportunity to explain what people can do to help freestyle judo grow, whether it's creating a club, getting in touch with an organization. What can oh. people do? Well, thank you for asking that. <laughs> I'll give an advertisement here for freestyle judo then. But because, again, I said earlier, the AAU has been very, very good to our program in freestyle judo. Now, AAU judo has, uh, they, they, we, we have uh, both, actually both rule sets of rules. We don't have the current IGF rules. But we have the older pre-2010 rules that we use. The AAU has two national tournaments a year for judo. One using the older standard rule set, you know, the, the before, you know, tw- 2009, that set of rules the IJF used, the Yukos and the Wazaris and the Pawns. And, and we also have the freestyle judo. So we actually have two national championship tournaments in the AAU. One in regular rules we call the standard rules, the one they freestyle judo rules. So if, if, if people are interested in getting in freestyle judo or AAU judo in general, I would encourage them to, uh, one, go to our website at, uh, freestylejudo.org and uh, that's freestylejudo.org or go to um, aausports.org or aausports. Or, or aaujudo.org either one of those will get you there and you can see how you can join the AAU and by joining the AAU uh, you you become a, you know a club member very inexpensively you become a, a you know as a, a coach or athlete member. We have kids memberships, of course. They're all very inexpensive, I might add, considering other martial arts. But but you can do that, and you you can get the insurance benefits. You can get all the benefits of being an AAU member, and it is through the AAU program that we run our freestyle judo program. I mean, all our freestyle judo tournaments are sanctioned through AAU because the insurance is the best. The sanctioning policies are fabulous. Um, they, they cover the person running the tournament, the tournament director, promoter has a lot of protections, uh, through the AEU insurance program. So I can't say too many good things about it because it's just wonderful. And if, so if, if they get involved in AAU judo initially, and then go to our website, contact us, um, contact, um, we have a Facebook presence. Uh, we have, um, the international, uh, the international, um, freestyle judo alliance. And, and the, on our Facebook or Freestyle Judo or AAU Judo, any of those in Facebook. About three or four years ago, we started the uh, International Freestyle Judo Alliance because someday we knew that this would start taking off internationally. And we've already got interest in Australia, uh, the UK, Italy, uh, uh, down South America, uh, Bruce Fraser down there. So we've got a lot of interest from, from not a lot, but some interest from people. Uh, internationally. So we formed just an alliance, not like the IGF where it's a a top-down organization. It's still just an alliance of people um, to to eventually form some kind of an international framework that we could have that. So we kind of, we have that set in place and someday we will, I think, have a truly international uh, freestyle judo tournament at some point. I think it'll happen. We're seeing a lot of interest overseas. 
and, and we're certainly seeing more interest here in this country too. So, so, so um, they, we're so growing. There's a site. There's a site that people who are interested in 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 from different countries that it's, because they can't be a part of the AAU. So they correct. Yeah. There's correct. the the. Can you repeat that again? It's the international. Yeah. Well, they can go to, for Facebook. Go to the International uh, Freestyle Judo Alliance, and we post a lot of training videos on there. Like a lot of stuff you see on my YouTube channel, we put on there as well. Um, we also have a Facebook page called uh, Freestyle Judo or AAU Judo, but we've also encouraged them to go to our website, um, www.freestylejudo.org. And um, uh, we, we, we have a, you know, we, we try to answer as many questions as we can there. Uh, you know, we, we uh, have the rules. If people want to see the rules, they can go there and see the rules. Um, they can just click on the little thing there. And, um, so we try to answer as many questions as we can uh, for people because we know that's a good marketing tool, and we do get a lot of people come visit that site. So uh, there is interest out there, and we would love to see anybody listening to this, you know, internationally. Uh, please get involved. Come to our website. Contact us. Uh, there's no membership fee to join, uh, to, you know, the International Freestyle Judo Alliance. It's, you know, we're not in it to make huge money or anything. There's no, there's actually no membership fee. Just get involved. Just start doing. Freestyle judo. A good example is a group in Italy. Um, uh, you know, they, they 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 contacted me and they said we want to do freestyle judo. We think it's really great. Well, wonderful. Uh, can we use your rules? Well, of course you can. You know, um, you know here they are. And and I even sent them a, a PDF on the rules in English. They translated them to Italian, and they have their own rule book now. Interesting. So, so these great. things are developing. You know, and, and so so we want to encourage the growth, and we. You know, we. I, I think it's going to happen. I think we're we're here to stay. Again, we're not, again. I want to make it clear to everyone: we're not trying to replace any judo organization. We're just here to add. We, you know, this is just another part of judo, and, and that we can do as a. And again, the basic idea is grassroots development. Whether you're in the United States or you're in Italy or UK or wherever it may be, these sets of rules really do. They're great grassroots. They're great developmental rules. People see that, and they're, if they're allowed to do more Nawaza, especially we get that a lot from overseas, they really like it. So, um, you know, I, I would encourage you to go to those websites or those Facebook pages. And uh, if someone wants to contact me, uh, they can contact me at stevescottjudo at yahoo.com. That's, again, stevescottjudo with two Ts on the Scott. And it's all one word, stevescottjudo at yahoo.com. And uh, I get I get a lot of emails. I try to I, I really try to answer every one of them. Uh, unless some, one of them goes to spam or something, I but I try to answer every email I get. So I do have, I probably get about ten or twelve emails a day on the subject. No kidding, already. And uh, so if more people hear about it, I'll probably get it even more. So please be patient if I don't get back with you right away. So, uh, but uh, well, Steve, and I would also encourage I, also people one more go to my uh, YouTube channel. Absolutely, uh, yeah. <laughs> subscribe. It's free. It's free. It's absolutely free. It's um, uh, uh, go to YouTube and go to Welcome Matt Steve Scott. And that's the name of my YouTube channel. Right now, I have about sixty, little over sixty five hundred subscribers, and, and over uh, nine hundred videos. That last I saw, almost you're getting close yeah. to a thousand there. Yeah, we are. You know, I mean, we were really picking them up there. Some some are better than others. I might I might mention. And, and I love I love that you your channel is you know it's it's very active and you 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 really put out a lot of content consistently. And I gotta I gotta tell you, Steve, that. 
I know I don't know how much online browsing you do in terms of different judo forums and such. Actually, like that, not that much. Yeah, <laughs> really, not so, that much. So there's there I don't have time. Is, in terms of the interwebs out there. There's actually been a lot of interest in freestyle judo, probably a little bit more than you you would realize. So probably so. Yeah. So I I appreciate you coming out uh, on onto the podcast to talk to talk. Uh, on freestyle judo, the history on that and how people, you know, and the rules and such. So this is all very interesting because, you know, a lot of a lot of people, they, they you know, they may not want to read a, a whole long, you know, entire website on it and such. So they want to get the, you know, kind of the breakdown and hear it right from the, mm -hmm. straight from the horse's mouth. So, yeah. so I, I appreciate you, Steve, coming on the, the program. Well, I appreciate and, your work too, Dave. You do great work and I really appreciate it. And I, I thank you for giving this opportunity to, to uh, explain what we do, and um, you know, maybe 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 recruit some more people into our freestyle judo stuff we do, and we we, we certainly welcome everyone, really. So uh, I really appreciate you, what you've done here. Thank you very much. Of course, of course, it, it's been it's been my pleasure having you on, and um, I think we can end the we can end the interview here. So we'll definitely keep in touch, Steve, and and uh, I, I wish you all the uh, the success oh, in the world with same this. With you, and Dave. I, hope, I appreciate uh, it so much. You know, I hope uh, you're getting a lot. You get a lot more response from this. You know, I, I get I get a I got a few listeners out there. The, the listeners are uh, I, I like them a lot. I'm very very fond of my listeners. So <laughs> guys, if you're listening, check out Freestyle Judo. Do that for me. Do that for me, and I might give you a JudoInside.com water bottle. Probably oh, not, fantastic. but you never know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're a good guy. Thanks thanks so much, Dave. Really, thank you very much. All right, Steve. Well, you have a good rest of the day, and uh, we'll definitely keep in touch. I'd like thank to have you, you so back much. on in the future. I hope so. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Everything you wanted to know about freestyle judo just happened in the past hour and 36 minutes. So if you don't know anything about freestyle judo, if there's a question that I didn't ask because I was too stupid or something like that, Feel free to reach out to Sensei Steve Scott of Welcome Matt Judo. As he stated, he already gave the contact information if you were paying attention. But if you have any more questions, feel free to reach out to him directly. Or you can reach out to me and I could shoot him a message and find out for you. Do all the legwork for you if you want me to. But that's unnecessary when you could get direct to him. So with that, if you made it this far, I congratulate you. I salute you and I thank you very much. I hope you have a great day. I hope you hope you have a great rest of the week. Train hard, stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style. Get out of here!